0: We'll go from there. So as I said, we're celebrating baptisms, and I want you to see a picture here. We kind of compiled a bunch of baptism pictures uh, from our very beginning, and obviously this is not all of them, but just a handful of them, and there's two things they haven't, well, technically three things. They're all wet because they obviously got baptized, but the other two things they have in common is these pictures were taken right after they were baptized, and you'll notice they are all doing what? If you notice on their face, they all have something that's in common. What is it? Yes! They are smiling, they're clapping, their hands are raised. There's obviously something they're very happy about. They're excited about something. There's some kind of a celebration that they got to experience and be part of, and we see that on their face. That's what baptism is. It is a celebration, and like I said, you see that. It's a celebration, but it's also a symbol. And so what I want us to do is we're going to look at a story in Scripture. If you've got your Bible, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, and I know it's dark in here, so I'll put the Scriptures on the screen for you as well. Acts chapter 10, we see an individual who is eventually going to get baptized, but I want you to pay attention to the chain of events, the timeline in which it happens, because it's very important, and then we're going to begin to see how that applies for us today. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, that's a location, that's a city, at Caesarea, Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family, look at this, were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, here we have, have a man and his family who have a relationship with God. They love God, and they're beginning to act like it. The actions are matching the words, which are matching the heart. He's devout, he is God-fearing, they give, they help. I mean, it looks like that of a Christian. But what's interesting is when you find out where he lives and really what he does, it says that he's a centurion. In other words, he's a leader in the Roman army, specifically in in this area. But in uh, the area is where, did you remember where it was? Second word, it said at? Caesarea. Good job. Caesarea. Now, here's why that is super important. Let me put up a map here. Let me show you where Caesarea is as far as Bible times go. It is kind of more towards about, a, about halfway up to the left. And you see a second word underneath it. That there's a bunch of Caesarea, so you don't need to worry about that bottom part. But right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, left of Samaria, you see Caesarea. So that's where this centurion is. That's where Cornelius and his family lived. That's where he worked. That's where he was a leader in the Roman army. Now, the location of where he lived is super important because we see a plan that Jesus put in place begin to actually unfold. So we're in Acts chapter 10. If you were to go to Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one, Jesus had been betrayed. He had been crucified. He had been in the ground, buried, and then came back to life. When he came back to life, he met with his disciples and he began to give them some final instructions. Final instruction, he says, I'm getting ready to go up into heaven to be with God the Father. Here's what you need to do. And then he gives them the marching orders and says, go. Look at these, these instructions. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is talking to his early disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Look in the locations, in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you read prior to that, Jesus says, stay put in Jerusalem. Wait here in Jerusalem Wait for my spirit to come upon you. When it does, then I want you to go out. Then I want you to go and tell everybody about Jesus. Start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, go to Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So now we're in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his family. Go back to the map and see how Jesus' plan is actually working. Jerusalem, next to the Dead Sea, basically. See Jerusalem right there, just above where the words Judea are. You said, or Scripture said, he started in Jerusalem. Then it spread to Judea, and then you see further out is Samaria, and then even further out is Caesarea. So by Acts chapter 10, we are seeing the gospel move, the gospel spread just like Jesus said it should. And the disciples are the ones that are beginning to spread that out, starting in Jerusalem and spreading that out for the entire world to know. So here Cornelius, 10 chapters later basically, is starting to learn about Jesus and God, having a relationship with him, his family has come to know Jesus on some level. But God has a plan and he begins to move Peter, one of Jesus' early disciples, Peter and Cornelius to have a meeting. And that's where we're gonna pick it up. So God, through a vision, tells Peter, you need to go and meet this man, Cornelius, at his home in Caesarea. And then God gives Cornelius a heads up. Hey, my apostle Peter is gonna come and meet with you. We pick that up in verse 27, still in Acts chapter 10, verse 27, while talking with him. So Peter's arrived. Peter and Cornelius are now talking. They've never met each other before. They don't really know much about each other, except that he's a centurion and part of the Roman army. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Cornelius, knowing that Peter was on his way, started to invite everybody over. Not just his immediate family, but friends and relatives, Scripture says, brought everybody over because Peter was coming. Peter had walked with Jesus and seen Jesus, had been given these directions from the mouth of Jesus on what to do next. So it says that he walks in, there's a large gathering of of people, and here's what Peter said, verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. Now, that's probably not the best thing to say when you walk into a leader of the Roman army's house with a bunch of people. Probably not the best thing. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anybody other than a Jew. And early on, the Jewish law was you couldn't associate or visit, as Peter said here, with anybody that wasn't a Jew. And so now he's in the house full of Gentiles, but Gentiles that are beginning to hear about Jesus and what it means to have a loving and meaningful and deep relationship With God. And so this is something very new. You're seeing the gospel spread to parts of the world that it hadn't really been spread to yet. And Peter's adapting. He goes on to say, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Verse 34, he says, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts, look at this, from every nation. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Again, this is new for the early church. As the early churches began to spread and the gospel began to move outside of just Jerusalem and Judea, but also Samaria and to the ends of the earth, like Caesarea, you're starting to see things are changing, a good change. More people are hearing about Jesus. More people are accepting him into their life. More people are are being saved. More people are hearing the gospel. And that's what Peter does next. He's standing in a room full of Gentiles that some of them have a relationship with God like Cornelius and his immediate family. But again, there's a bunch of other friends and relatives. He has no idea where everybody is spiritually speaking. So he just does the one thing that Peter's probably actually pretty good at, telling the gospel. (laughs) He says, here's what I've seen. Here's what I know to be true. And so he just lays out the gospel in front of Cornelius and all his friends and relatives. Verse 39. He says, We are witnesses of everything he did, talking about Jesus, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that, again, everyone, everyone, so we have every nation, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he just lays it out as simply and as blunt as possible. He says, here's the gospel. Here's who Jesus was and is. Here's what happened. Here's what that means for us. He lays it out in front of this large group of Cornelius' friends and family, and then he does something that that we, throughout scripture, we usually see happen very quickly afterwards. Now, nowhere in scripture do we see a, a time period that's required or suggested. It's just when you hear the gospel and you accept that, you say, okay, Jesus, I recognize that it's your grace that's saving me. There's nothing I can do to earn it, nothing I can do to deserve it, now or ever, you give it because of what you did on the cross and by raising from the dead, you defeated sin and death. So I'm accepting that, I believe that. And even what Peter said here, says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So now I'm forgiven. My debt is wiped clean. My sins are forgiven. What we see happen next, we see throughout the New Testament. And it's exactly what happens here in the home of Cornelius. Verse 46, then Peter said, after they, ac- they heard the gospel and they accepted the gospel, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered... I love that. He ordered. He didn't suggest it. He he said, no, this is what's next. Here's your next step. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. Cornelius and his family and then who knows how many other friends and relatives had a, a life change moment happen in this context, in this text here. And they Many of them probably knew of Jesus or had some kind of a relationship with God, Cornelius and his family being one. Again, remember, God-fearing and devout. He had a relationship with God, but he still had a next step that he hadn't taken yet. And after hearing the gospel and, and making sure that, okay, we're on the same page, yes, that is what I believe, and yes, I believe in Jesus, then Peter says, here's your next step. It's baptism. And that order is crucial. We cannot get that out of order. It starts with a relationship with God that only comes through his son, Jesus. When we accept Jesus, when we accept that grace, we are able to have a relationship with God because our sin is, is forgiven. And once we have that relationship with God, then we can then celebrate it through baptism. That's what baptism is. Understand, baptism does not save us. We don't. We can't get that reversed. Baptism in and of itself does not save. Save us. If that was true, I would just have a water hose and just spray everybody as they came into church on Sunday, just to make sure. Just I do it every week, just to make sure it didn't like miss you last Sunday or anything, or it was a really bad week for you. Just spray you down. That's not the way it works. If you don't have a relationship with with Jesus, if he's not in your heart, going and, and getting wet in the baptistry is just that. It's getting wet. We have to have the relationship with God first. Cornelius and his family, they had a relationship with God first. Peter delivered, he presented, he explained, he told them who Jesus was and is. It says, everyone who believes, everyone who believes, their sins are forgiven. We see that time and time throughout scripture. It's the grace of Jesus that saves us. It's when we believe in him. It's when we, we profess with our mouth and believe in our heart. That's when we're saved. So there's that moment of, as churches would say, salvation or being saved, and then we have the moment where we celebrate it. That's baptism. We have to get that in the right order, just like we see here with Peter ordering that Cornelius and his family, those that accepted the gospel, be baptized. We have to get it in the right order. But again, why do it if it's, if it's not going to save us? What's so important? Why do we see it throughout Scripture or throughout the New Testament over and over again of being Baptized, well, as I said, yes, it's a celebration. Like we saw on the faces of people, they're celebrating something, but it's also a symbol. It represents something very important in the life of a Christian. It means something very specific. And from a symbol standpoint of what it symbolizes, it symbolizes who we align with. It symbolizes who we identify with. You know, in this story of Cornelius and Peter, Peter and Cornelius had nothing in common, absolutely nothing in common. And as Peter was standing in front of a full house, I am sure he had very little, if anything, in common with the rest of those people. Different backgrounds, different even religious beliefs maybe up until this point. They lived in different places. They grew up in different ways, different ethnicities and nationalities. They did not have really anything in common. But through this baptism, they now identified with the same person, Jesus you can have nothing else in common, but all of a sudden, this moment says, no, I'm publicly identifying and aligning myself with Jesus. It symbolizes who we identify with, who we align ourselves and our life with. I have some great news for, well, most of you will consider this good news. We are merely two days away from football season. Just a few days, a few days from football season. Yes, it is happening. It is, it's, it's, a, it's a long time coming, it, it's been a long summer. Yes, yeah, so football season's finally happening, and you're gonna start to see a lot more of these pop up. Well, maybe not these specifically. This is a Cincinnati Bengals jersey. So I knew that was coming. You're the Ravens fan in the crowd, aren't you? Yeah, I knew there was some of you out there. Well here is my here is my predicament. I could have worn a college football jersey and then effectively split my congregation. So I went with a football team that very few people have even heard of, but from Cincinnati. So yes, I am a Cincinnati Bengals fan. So preseason kicks off here um, in the next week and we get rolling through the rest of August. College football kicks off. And so we are waiting. So you're going to see the jerseys pop out, right? You're going to start seeing people align themselves with a team. It's what a jersey does. You see somebody in a jersey and it automatically tells you whose team they're on. What team they cheer for which side they are on right that's what a jersey does what a jersey does not do is magically turn you into a football player because I could put this jersey on as I've done and you know who I identify with you know that I'm going to cheer for the Bengals no matter what you also know that there's no way I could ever play for the Bengals ever or any football some of you're like no you could probably play for the Bengals I don't want to hear it I know what you're thinking still couldn't play for them No, nothing about this jersey changes who I am. Understand that. The jersey doesn't change who I am. The jersey publicly announces who I identify with, what team I align for, which team I'm cheering for, which team, if you are an athlete, which team you play for. It doesn't make you the athlete. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. All it does is publicly symbolize who you are identifying with, what team you're now on. And you tell the whole world you are unashamedly aligned with Jesus. So as a jersey would tell you which team you're going to be cheering for, your baptism says, I'm living for Jesus. From here on out, from this moment forward, I live for Jesus. But again, the order is important. We get to know Jesus. We accept him into our hearts. And then we publicly announce it, or the symbol of who we identify with. And then there's a byproduct. This happens after our baptism. 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Paul says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Look at this. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. What he's saying is, is the exact same thing we just saw with Peter and Cornelius and all of those friends and relatives. We may not have anything in common except this one baptism that says, I'm aligned with Jesus. My life is living for Jesus. We don't do to that perfectly, but we live for Jesus. As we publicly announce who we identify with, we also gain the unity of the church, Big sea Church, not just Mountain Lake Church, the Big Sea Church, the global church, all believers, you have something in common with the believer halfway around the world because of this one baptism. It says we agree on this one thing. We can disagree on a lot. We might not have anything else in common except and we've been baptized and we publicly acknowledge that Jesus is the main thing, the one thing of that, that we have in common. So baptism symbolizes who we identify with, but it also shows what we celebrate. As I said, you look at that picture of faces and people clapping and their hands raised because they're celebrating the life that's been changed. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, our life forever changes. We all have this three-part in our God story, our life change story. I was, then God, now I am. And when we get baptized, we're celebrating what God has done in our life. We celebrate that, man, I was, but then look what God did through His Son Jesus in my life and that grace and the Holy Spirit working in me. Now look who I am. And so often when you talk to somebody, ask them their story. And you look at the I was and the now I am and you notice those are worlds apart. And we celebrate that. We celebrate through baptism the life that has been changed, how much our lives had been changed. Colossians speaks to that life change and the celebration part of baptism. Colossians 2.12 says, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. There's a symbolism again. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Again, baptism doesn't save us. It says it's a symbol of being buried with Christ, your old life, and then being raised to new life just as Jesus rose from the dead. We rise to new life. If you stick around and we have baptisms this afternoon, you'll hear me say that same thing or whoever's doing the baptisms, buried with Christ, raised to new life. Straight out of Colossians 2. It's a symbol of the celebration of the life change that has happened. We celebrate the life change. Now if you keep going verse 13, it tells us that life change that we're celebrating through baptism. You were dead, what was that word? You were what? Dead. dead. You were dead. Because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's our life change story. And when we walk through that, we celebrate. Baptism celebrates how much our life has changed. I was, and what was that word? I was what? Dead. Let that sink in for a second, because usually, you know, we, we fill in the blank with all sorts of things. I was an addict. I was lost. I was far away. I was miserable. I was depressed. I was anxious. And, and all of those can be true in our own life change story. But here, Paul to the early church is saying, no, no, you were dead because of your sins. And we are really good at just glossing over our sins, Just like, oh, well, you know, everybody sins. Jesus saved me. And all that, yes, true. But for just a moment, let the magnitude, let the weight of, of our sin just rest briefly on your shoulders. Just try to comprehend as best as you humanly and possibly can that Scripture tells us the wages of sin is death. And here, we were dead because of our sin. But then God. Then God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to take those sins and to nail it on a cross with him attached to it, to be dead for three days, but to rise again, conquering and defeating sin and death. Then God happened in our life. Then Jesus said, I'll give you grace, the free gift of grace. Can't earn it, can't deserve it, but I'm going to give you the free gift of grace. And his Holy Spirit moves into our lives and changes us. Scripture says that now we are made alive with Christ. I was dead, then God, now I'm alive with Christ. Every single one of us that walks through that has much to celebrate. I was dead and now I'm alive. I can't think of anything else worth celebrating. I was dead, then God, now I'm alive. Baptism is a symbol of who we identify with, who who we align our life with. From this moment forward, I'm following Jesus. No turning back, no looking back. I'm following Jesus and I want everybody to know. It's public. And I also have much to celebrate. Because when I look back on my past and I see who I was, and I see that God still loved me and continues to love me regardless, and in fact did more than just say he loved me, he showed it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us out of Romans. And now I am, and he continues to change me and work on me and guide me, direct me, be evident and part of my life. We have much to celebrate. Baptism symbolizes who we identify with, but it also celebrates how much our life has changed. That's what we get to do. That's what baptism is. It's a symbol and it's a celebration of the life that Jesus has changed. And every single one of us that believes in him. Every single one of us. I was nine years old when I was baptized. And yes, how much sin could a nine-year-old possibly do? Hey, we've all got sentences about recognizing it, right? But I was nine years old. It was the day after Christmas, 1993. So you can do the math and figure out how old I am. Some of you feel really old right now. Some of you are like, really? He's that young in a pastor or however you want to think about it. 1993, day after Christmas, December 26th, I'm sitting in church with my family and it's the end of the service and, and, you know, a lot of churches do the final song and pastor's up there. If anybody needs to come forward, we're going to keep singing until somebody comes forward. We're still gonna sing until somebody comes forward. it wasn't quite like that but but it was kind of the church that I grew up in so I'm sitting there, I'm on the aisle seat, uh, family's next to me, but what was really cool was my dad was the one preaching that day and uh, my dad just retired from over 40 years in ministry in the end of June and and I've gotten to see my dad in a lot of church environments, but but this one is obviously uh, one of my most memorable. And I don't have any photographs of my baptism, and I don't have any photographs of, of the moments leading up to it. What I have is this image in my head of stepping out of that aisle and walking down to meet my dad down front. And I will never forget my dad's face. I mean, that, that image will be there forever. And I remember seeing my dad's face, and it was complete joy because he recognized. Okay, Brian's already been saved, but now he's saying, I want everybody to know. And he recognized what that meant for my life. So as a nine-year-old boy in Cincinnati, Ohio, 1993, right after Christmas, my dad baptized me. And what that did for me was it gave me like a moment, that milestone in my life. Where when I look back, I remember that day. And I remember what that meant to me, saying, I don't have, I mean, nine-year-olds, we don't have everything figured out. We don't know everything about scripture and Bible and what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, I'm still learning that. It's a, it's a constant process. But I look back on that moment, and that's the moment I look back to to say, I'm living for Jesus from here on out. That's what that day did for me, December 26, 1993, serves as the day that I publicly said I will follow Jesus no matter what. And along the way, years past, it's a lot of ups and downs. It's moments where I did that well. It's moments where I tended or it seemed to forget about that. But I always had that day and that moment to look back on and say, no, that's who I am. Whose I am. I'm Jesus's. And I committed to live for him. I pray that's what this could be for you is that baptism symbolizes who you identify with, but it also celebrates the life that has been changed in you, what Jesus has done in your life. So I'd encourage you, think through where you're at. You're probably going to fit in one or, one or more of these, or one of these categories. Either you've been saved and you've not been baptized. You have a relationship with Jesus, but you've not been baptized. That's like Cornelius, Cornelius and his family. That's what we looked at. Loved Jesus, knew Jesus, knew about Jesus, but didn't, hadn't make that next step yet. For you, I would say, why wait any longer? It's like what Peter did. He said, no one else could stand in the way of them being baptized, so he ordered that they be baptized. Now, I'm not going to order you to be baptized. I'll let scripture do that for you, but take that next step. Get rid of all the excuses and all the obstacles and all the fears and doubts and worries and whatever else is clouding that decision for you. Say, No. I was, then God, now I am. It's time to celebrate that and go public with it. That's why we do days like this. You can get baptized anytime you want. We're a portable church. We can bring that baptistry here whenever you would ask. But we do moments like this to, to give you that opportunity to take away the excuses. I have shirts for you to wear if you didn't come ready and dress for baptism, and shorts. We've got towels for you. The water is warm. You've got no excuse If you know Jesus and have a relationship with him, your next step is baptism if you haven't done so. What if you have accepted Jesus and you've been baptized as a baby or as an infant? I get asked that question quite a bit. First of all, let me say, be thankful for that. Appreciate what your parents did for you. They wanted to raise you in a way that was honoring God. Celebrate that, be thankful for that. But let me add this, you still need to make your faith your own. As an infant, you're not able to decide Am I going to live for Jesus or not? As an adult today, you most certainly have to make that decision. So if you're baptized as a baby or as an infant or you can't remember because you were so young, be thankful for that as part of your story and especially be thankful for your parents for doing that. But you've got to make that decision on your own. Say, I'm going to identify in my adult life, in my adult years, I'm going to identify who I'm aligned with and to celebrate the life change that Jesus has done in my life. Today's your day. If you've been saved, and you've been baptized, man, be thankful. Remember that day you got baptized. May we never forget that milestone and that moment in our life change story. Stick around and celebrate the rest of the people that are going to go public today. But let me add one more challenge. Let me add one more challenge. Remember what Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Peter experienced that, doing all of that, even going out to Caesarea to give the gospel to Cornelius. We're at the end of July. We're, we're a little over halfway through 2017. Here's my challenge for you that yes, you have Jesus in your heart, you're saved and you've been baptized. Don't let it end with you. You have the remainder of 2017. Who would you pray you get to baptize sometime this next year, sometime in the remaining year? There's nothing special about me baptizing people. It's more significant when it's the person that led them to Jesus. If you have been baptized and you love Jesus, I mean, we have, a yes, an obligation and a duty. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded of all people, of all nations, everywhere, everyone, and yes, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our job. May it not end with us. If you've gotten to experience that celebration, great. Who's somebody in your life that needs that as well? I'd love one day for you to walk up, introduce me to a family member, to a neighbor, a coworker, a friend and says, Brian, this is the person that I have been praying to baptize for however many months. Can you walk us through it? Absolutely. Don't let it end with you. If you haven't even been saved yet, step one, start there. If you haven't been baptized, but you haven't been saved, you gotta start with knowing Jesus. And Peter said it best. Jesus came because we needed him. I was dead. Then God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me and my sins. And as he died and rose again, he took my sins with him. Charges against me are gone. And he extends the gift of grace to every single one of us. Anyone who believes in him will be saved. You don't have to have everything figured out, you have to believe. And that's the moment Jesus moves into your life and changes your life forever. And we celebrate it through baptism. My prayer is that you would hear from God what your next step is. Baptism, accepting him into your life or many other life-changing decisions. But I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna sing one last song and I pray that you would seek out your next step as we follow him for the rest of our life. Jesus, thank you so much for what you are doing and what you have been doing. That you are in the the business of life change. That you you accept us as who we are and you move in and you change us. You change us to become who you want us to be. And God, in, in this moment here, we say thank you. Thank you for moving into our life. Thank you for coming and dying for each and every one of us. Thank you for conquering sin and death. And Jesus, we believe in you and we align ourselves with you. We identify with you and we celebrate the life change in each and every one of our lives. God, whatever our next step is, speak to us. If it is baptism, I pray that you would just calm the nerves and calm the questions, calm the doubts and and lead those that need to into that next step. If it's another next step through our life change story, God, be clear and loud to each and every one of us about what's next as we follow you.